Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops if we're stopping to get gas. You will be timed. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> a lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. And so much more. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from TalkSport. This is Paul Hawksby. And Andy Jacobs. Uh, this is the H&J Daily, some of the best bits of this afternoon's show. We had some very good guests in today. Frank Skinner was here. He's touring and got some big gigs coming up in uh, London's busy West End. He yeah, was on good was, form. That was fun. Uh, um, Warren Gatlin. Warren Gatlin, yeah. Just fresh from the Rugby World Cup. He's just obviously left the Wales job to go back home and coach at club level. And he's still got the Lions to come. He was very interesting, reflecting on the World Cup. Um, we had a bit of a, bit of a, a chat. Var Rant. Var Rant. We had a bit of a laugh as well. And we yeah. bought you Don't Ask Me. And uh, did Andy get five out of five? What do you think? Here it all is. <laughs> Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon, Andy. Good afternoon, Paul. Good afternoon. That's it. I'm done with VAR. I'm done with it. I'm done with Riley. He's got to go. Yeah. I'm done with it. It's pathetic. I've now got to the point, honestly, I swear, sitting in the game, sitting in the stadium on Saturday, watching Chelsea's two goals. Yeah. I just didn't celebrate the goal. I don't celebrate now. I thought, well, I thought, Abraham's offside. They'll look at that. Second one, I thought, well, that's probably somebody's handled it or something obscure about five moves ago. You know, and so what happens I do now? I've got a new routine. It went down pretty well. I wait until the other team have kicked off, which signals that the VAR check is over and it's a go, and I go, go! Like that, I start celebrating like mad then. What, even... Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's good, it got a good laugh. It's the right thing to do, because yeah. you can't celebrate when the goal goes in. It's no. pathetic. Well, on the flip side of that, of course, I was uh, I witnessed a four-minute wait for uh, for a big toe to be offside for Sheffield United. That was a disgrace. And I told was. you at the time, I was letting you know, it was going on and on and on, and then at the end of it, um, do you know sometimes you know you get the you get the better end of a VAR decision there and, you know it was a home game at Spurs but there was no explosion of joy there was a few people but generally uh, we all thought that's appalling and the Sheffield United fans started questioning the validity mm. of VAR but uh, only with two words and uh, it was pretty straightforward old school Anglo-Saxon but we started applauding. All the Tottenham fans applauded them as they sung it. I mean, I think if there's one thing that's bringing football fans together at the yeah. moment, it's the state of that. It was oh, a it's ludicrous so bad. decision. I mean, the, the Mail on Sunday have revealed that there's a major flaw with the technology, which means there could be a margin of error of up to 38 centimetres, 15 inches. Yeah. Which, I mean, it's understandable because this thing of when the ball leaves the foot, and especially, you know, such a small margin like a toenail like that, they're going to have to introduce a margin of error. Here. They're going to have to introduce a, a, a situation where they go, we go with a decision right. on the field. You can't, you, as I said to you earlier on, you can't have a margin of error when you've got technology. When you're drawing. Yeah, but technology's got a flaw and it's but, like, it's I like, know, but it's when like the, what's it called? It's like cricket with the ball tracking. You can't tell exactly. So they gave this thing umpires call. You have to have that in a review system. This is just. It's quite uh, hard to have umpires call when the umpires or referees aren't looking I'd, at I'd the monitors. I wouldn't even bother with it now. I'd just, I'd just scrap it. And the whole thing's a disaster. They'll have to to soldier on to the end of the season. Thing is... I thought Steve Parrish's piece in the Sunday Times yesterday was ridiculous. I didn't understand it at all. I mean, it was basically saying that everybody's biased and nobody can make a decision unless you're completely objective. I mean, I had nothing, no skin in the game between Man City and Liverpool yesterday. I can make an objection, an an observation. Objective decision. Objective decision. It was a penalty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. You know, there are two great pictures, actually, of Trent Alexander with his arms out, one handling the ball and the other standing in front of... uh, Raheem Sterling I thought perhaps he's like Murley perhaps that's the position of his arms the whole time in an unnatural position well, from what he said after the game even he thought it was a penalty didn't he I mean you could tell he was worried in the end 
Oliver is a better referee than John Moss. Yeah. So he, or, Moss should have a bit of respect. He should say to Oliver, go and look at it. I think it is, but you decide. You go and look at it. And w- until they get that, no one's going to be happy. I don't care what Riley says about it. They can go there. We all know he's, they're not allowed to go there. And it's got to change. And re- really, it, it, is, it's, it is actually ruining the season. Yeah. It's as bad as that. It is terrible. No, you're right. Uh, on a more positive note, uh, Sheffield United were fantastic. Seeing them in the flesh mm. for the first time. What a brilliant job Chris Wilder has done. They were by far the better team on the day. Yeah. I mean, they've got no stars in the team. They've just come up. They're still getting used to the Premier League. They're brilliantly what, coached. What a great side they are. They mm. play good football. They don't just, you know, often teams that have just been promoted, a lot of teams come to that ground and they just set up sort of two banks, almost a bank of five and a mm. bank of four. They didn't do that. Um, and Tottenham just couldn't find a way to deal with them. They were brilliant. Yeah, it's not, it's not happening, is it, at the moment? But it's interesting, though. I was thinking about this one as well. Burnley's first goal shouldn't have been a corner. But VAR can't do anything about that. So they can go back miles in a move to see some sort of handball that happened and that will be ruled it out. Or some yeah. of these toes offside who didn't actually cross the ball or wasn't a through ball or anything like that. Oh, no, they can look, look at that. But they can't. But don't worry, they probably will. I would imagine soon they'll have VAR for every throw and in every corner and every key. That's, is that what people want? Yeah. To get every decision right. Well, they've got a meeting, haven't they, this week? Uh, I think the chairman and, and the PGMO. Yeah, but and, judging and by Steve Parrish's thoughts, I don't think they're going to do anything about it. I don't think they're going to do other than and say, okay, carry on. Yeah. You know, the so the thrust of his argument was everybody sees what they want to see yeah, through through basically. the prism of their own football yeah. club. No, I don't. I don't agree. I agree with you. I didn't agree with it on Reddit yesterday because I, I don't think mm. that's the case. I mean, you get elements of that, of but as I said, when you've got fans of one team mm. benefiting from it, like it did us at the weekend, and then we applaud the team as they say, you know, stuff VAR or the equivalent of their fans, yeah. then that tells you that's not the case. We're all all of us at one point during the season. Is going to get sawn off by it in a terrible way, and we already have been. You have been. Yeah, Sheffield United look, were the football. other day. You'll, you'll get sawn off by decisions. Yeah, and, you know as well as you will technology. But it's the delay. It's the it's it's the thing that everyone talked about. This this killing of joy. This killing of the moment. Yeah, and that is a big big problem. I thought Gary Lineker was right about saying you know you, at least if you're going to have to have it, restrict the time that it takes, and if you can't. Well, sort it out then you have to go with the decision on the field it was interesting there was a or you get the referee to go and look at it say look we we can't we're not sure Michael we've looked at it for a minute you go and look at it otherwise was, it's just not going to but work. there was a comment in one of the papers today said VAR officials took almost four minutes to check an offside at Tottenham for this crucial de- crucial decision with a game goal uh, now this was the sorry this was the the nil-nil uh, the point has been made that it only it was only a 46 second check uh, for the uh, handball by uh, Trent yesterday, 46 hmm. seconds. And he's getting pilloried for that. And that seems super quick to me, said uh, one of the pundits. <laughs> so you can't win, can no, you? you can't win you're, getting, you're getting uh, damned no, if they but do. It, but in the end, it, VAR, it's flawed for one very, very good reason why it doesn't work and it isn't going to work the way it is at the moment. It's got this massive flaw in it, which is in the end, it's just another bloke's opinion. Yeah. In the end, that was John Moss's opinion, it wasn't handball. You know, and that's the problem with this. It's not definitive. And so because you've got that situation, you ha- the referee has to be the person that decides. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, as you say, uh, why, as Mike Riley said, mm. they can look at the monitors if they want to, and you've got Mike Dean as a fourth official, you've got uh, Michael Oliver, probably two of our three or four best referees, and neither of them uh, look at the monitor. He, Mike Dean doesn't say to Michael Oliver... Go and have a look at that, uh, as, as well as the VAR. It's just ridiculous. They've got yeah. senior refs who have clearly been told not to do that. It's hopeless. And also, it, the whole thing, the handball or the dreadful handball rules that we have at the moment, we saw Yeremina hugging himself, desperate not to handle the ball. It was like this, holding himself like this. You see the way I'm holding myself? And, of course, he was off balance, as you would be with, it, with your arms wrapped around yourself. Yeah. The flick went straight to Ings. He scored. You know, that is a problem when a defender feels he has to hold his arms in like this because yeah. he doesn't want to give away a penalty. But even then, it didn't stop him. I mean, he, he, he basically a rugby tackle on Gineppo in that game mm. and uh, they decided not to even look at it, VAR. That push, I mean, it was a clear push and it should have been a penalty. So, <laughs> What a mess. What a mess. Uh, oh, Motti will have steam coming out of his ears. Uh, it'll be interesting <laughs> to get Frank, uh, Frank Skinner's thoughts on that as well. He's uh, obviously a, mm. a man who cares deeply oh. for football. So we'll get Frank's thoughts when he joins us. And that's the other thing that they're getting wrong completely. The Premier League comments when they explain the VAR decision. Yeah. It's not going well, that, when they're going, yes, and the, the reason that was that his arm was in a natural position. Well, it's not. He walks around like, unless you've got a ball <laughs> under 
under it. <laughs> Not that natural. So why, but it's like last week's explanation of the of the son sending off. Don't bother to offer an explanation, really. If yeah, because it doesn't help. You're embarrassing yourselves. You're making a bad decision, mm. even worse. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from Talk Sport. <laughs> Well, Hawksby, Andy Jacobs here on Talk Sport, making a welcome return to the studio now. He's been uh, touring uh, throughout the country with showbiz and he's going to be bringing it to the West End, London Garrick Theatre, 13th of Jan, the 15th of Feb. Frank Skinner. Good afternoon, Frank. Hello. Yeah. Is How are you? I'm uh, I'm top notch, I think. Mm. I mean, you know, for my age, I've got to be in the <laughs> <laughs> top. A doctor once told me that my um, hip-waist ratio is in the top 10% of the, uh, of the country. Wow. Is that good? Hit my ratio, yeah. Oh I can, no, no, it is good, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I can, I can fastly flop through an unstrung <laughs> tennis racket, <laughs> not touch the sides. How old are you now, Frank? Sixty-two. Do you wow. do you find yourself singing that in? So a bit like old people used to do on quiz shows back in the seventies, where they'd say, you know, what's your name, dear? She'd say, well, I'm seventy-four. You're seventy-four, ladies <laughs> yeah, and gentlemen. Exactly. Get the round of applause. Yes, I, um, <laughs> I do. I, I talk about it quite a bit. I think I they think... did. They all applauded in there when you said. 62. Yeah, they did. Quite yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now that I'm not not sort of on the market for relationships anymore. Obviously, I would have played it down. Then. Yeah, yeah, But of as it was, I, yeah, I like it. I'm so, I always felt I was a 60-year-old man in waiting. Yeah. So I feel, <laughs> I feel happier and more relaxed. It's and, like, yeah, and I'm saying, as a representative of the Werther's generation, it's good. I've been reading that you're <laughs> taking on this uh, tour. You've been taking a lot of National Trust properties as you tour. Well, not just National Trust. I, I've become obsessed with the Anglo-Saxons, generally really? speaking. So the tour, there's a parallel tour, which is famous Anglo-Saxon sites. So I've done Sutton Hoo and the, the Prittlewell Prince in Southend and Bede's Tomb in Durham University, oh, yeah. etc. Wow. Weren't you tempted though with Sutton Hoo to do the old football thing? Sutton Who? <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> Probably not. No. And, uh, Chris Sutton must have got fed up with that. <laughs> over Chris the Sutton years. was at Norwich, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Not that far. No, no, no. Yeah. no I've done the Sutton Who. Um, wh- what's drawn you to the Anglo Saxons? You know what? I, I heard a podcast which was a, about a history of England, mm. and I got to the end of the Anglo Saxon section, and then I went back to the beginning again. I liked it wow. so much. What is it about them then that. It's really hard to say, yeah. but uh, one of the great things is people know almost nothing about them. So mm. there's like three sources you can read and then you know as much as most historians. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a very quick way in, yeah. Wow. Have you got a favourite Anglo, top ten Anglo-Saxon? Oh, well, favourite Bede would certainly, the Venerable Bede. The Venerable Bede. Bede. Be up yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, King, King Alfred, obviously, straight up there. Yeah. Yeah, and um, I like Offa. He wouldn't have done well in Bake Off, though, King Alfred. King Alfred, you no. would have been, he would have been, yeah. <laughs> no, he was shake from poor Hollywood. Because <laughs> they didn't have the oftentimers in those days. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm at a bit of an advantage to Paul, because I've seen this show, mm. and this is always difficult, because A, we know you, and B, it's going to come across like very crawly, but I, I honestly think it was the best show I've ever seen you do. I really thought it was top, oh, well, thanks, top form, and... Uh, I told you that on the night. It, it was just, it was just brilliant. It was just a brilliant hour. The, it was a big venue, but somehow it was intimate, and the fans, everybody loved it. I mean, you must be happy with the reaction you've had from the show. Yeah, well, it's grown to an hour and a half now for mm. the tour. I did Birmingham on um, on Friday night, and I was a bit anxious because I think. You know, I still think of Birmingham as a really special gig and I actually felt a bit edgy before. And I'm usually, I don't really get the nerves thing. And I always think, well, you know, do they still love me or am I, you know, that guy who moved away? Um, <laughs> and then um, it's like when a footballer goes back, there's some, you know, that they love and some that they never forgive yeah. for leaving. Anyway, it was an absolute stormer and just the job I'm still I've still got a bit of the glow left from Friday night so do you uh, tailor it to, to I mean do you I saw some re- a review of a gig you did in Wolverhampton you're giving the Wolves fans a bit of clog so you're, yeah you're working which is not, not easy at the moment no, no, it's quite difficult. <laughs> doing rather well yeah I think I did talk about Nuno doing brilliantly for a, for a bloke who's still sleeping rot. <laughs> yes, that's, yeah, it's got that look. I saw that. You said you hope if Brexit does go through, they'll kick the Portuguese out, which will be terrible Yeah, well, for obviously wolves. that was only in the context yeah, of, of course, Of course. Yeah, we yeah. that clear. We, no, I'm, 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 I think we were all with you on that one. So where, what, uh, as a, as a, you know, what do you make of Peaky Blinders? Where do you sit on that particular? You know what? I've never seen Talky, um, Talky Blinders, uh, Speaky 
thingy peaky blinders. You've never watched Talky uh, Blinders. Talk, the Talky Spe- Blinders. Actually, Speaky Blinders would be a brilliant chat show. It would be. No, yeah, I might might write that down. <laughs> Someone told me it was mega violent, and I'm I'm yeah. not great mm. with uh, mega violence. Of mm. that, I don't mind if it's aliens doing it, but if it's ordinary people yeah. doing it, I'm I'm, I'm sort of in it. But I'm I'm I mean, people truly love it. I oh, bet yeah. if I gave it a go, I bet I'd get totally hooked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As it's a as a kind of a Midlands thing, certainly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know a few Midlands people who've moaned about the accents, but you know, I think you can get a bit carried away mm. with all that. The um, what I was going to say to you is it is it gone? It will come back to me. It might do. Uh, yeah, you carry on while it comes back to me. Yeah, that's right. We are the worthiest. We are the worthiest. What was I going to say? Oh, that's right. You know, no, we're gone. you carry on uh, no, until, I, until I think of it. Um, you haven't got anything to say? No, either. I have. Oh, go on then, say it then. No, I mean basically. Uh, what, yes. <laughs> I tell you what, I've got something. Yeah. Can you I defend VAR? Both are out of things to say. Okay, defend it, Frank. Yes. Okay. When VAR was, uh, let's let us go back many years when yeah. when Paul Hawksby was the editor of the popular football magazine yeah. and he hired me as a as a columnist. Yeah, yeah. And one of the columns I remember writing was how it was about how important I thought bad refereeing decisions were to football. Mm. That I've been to so many games that were dull games and one terrible refereeing decision has set the crowd on fire, made it exciting and really lifted everything up. And I thought that human error, especially people... I like the idea of tremendously skilled professionals being in the hands of people who've hardly ever kicked a ball. (laughs) And I feared that um, that all those beautiful idiosyncrasies and all that rough road would be smoothed out by VAR. And I thought it would just be perfect decision after perfect decision, Mm. and that element would go. As it is, I think it's improved it. Because the decisions are as bad, but we get longer now to <laughs> savour them no. like fine wine. <laughs> <laughs> when you're standing, as, as uh, I was sitting the other day, for four minutes waiting to find out whether you, you've conceded a goal or not, it is pretty ridiculous, really. I mean, would you, you wouldn't want to be sitting at the Hawthorns. And, and with imagine that, Albion score no. and you sit there and you think, I'm not celebrating this because I'm waiting to make the other team kick off. It's yeah. not great, that. But, you know... Um, in cricket, it's uh, I, I love the the replays and stuff in cricket, but it still spoils that celebration thing. Cause yeah, just imagine if when when England won the World Cup, if they'd questioned that run out. So that Joss Butler moment when the bales and the whole place, they yeah. all have to then stand around for. <laughs> no, but I I don't want to lose bad decisions. I think they're important. Would you like it then in the championship? Would you Would you be quite pleased to see it come in? Well. Um, Obviously, it won't really affect us because we'll be in the Premiership. Oh, of course, yeah, season. of course, of course. The way it's, yeah, it's going rather well, isn't it? It is going well at the moment. I, I, I love the idea that they might say, you know what, we preferred old-fashioned human error the way it used to be. But mm. I don't think, having spent this much money, I don't think that can happen, can it? No, it, it's, it, it's, it's, it's. I think no we stop. We stop with it. I think I, we I are stuck with it. I watched yeah. Albion last week against Stoke, and Albion played well, but. Mm. Albion, it's good that Stoke won and they got Michael, Michael O'Neill. O'Neill yeah, yeah. That was one of the strangest. By the end, the Albion fans were giving it the big O late, but I thought it was one of the most shockingly poor performances by a team that I've seen for a long time, Stoke, and I wonder the manager had to go. Well, we are playing Sarri ball at the moment without Sarri because we don't really have a goal scorer. <laughs> mm. We've got some fabulous midfield players and the goals are happening one way or another, mm. but we can't keep doing that. But yeah, Stoke were in crisis. That was the right time to play Stoke. Definitely, I loved it. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from TalkSport. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Sharon, and here's where it gets interesting. 
Raise your hand if you want Salon Perfect Nails for just $2 a manicure. Yeah, me too. With the Alvin June Manny System, you can say goodbye to expensive services that take hours and hours and love your nails more than ever. I would know I've been doing it for years. Get 20% off your first Manny System with code PERFECTMANNY20 at alvinjune.com slash PERFECTMANNY20. That's PERFECTMANNY20 at alvinjune.com slash PERFECTMANNY20. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from TalkSport. Yeah, Frank Skinner is with mm. us in the studio, and as he was just saying, he's got these Garrick Theatre gigs in London coming up uh, at the start of next year, but uh, you can still catch him. Edinburgh, Motherwell, Aberdeen, Watford, Cov, Glasgow, Dudley, Belfast, Torquay, Britain. You get the idea. There's quite yeah. a lot of dates left on the tour. Right, from Jersey, off to Jersey. Exactly. What's the Anglo-Saxon history like there? Um, that's a very good question. I don't normally plan this far in advance. I don't know if they made the Channel Isles, but um, I tend to think, I can never remember, was Letitia Guernsey or Jersey? I, th- I thought he was Jersey, wasn't he, Matt? I think he was. was he well, Graham Lasseau was one. Yeah, and was Guernsey. And was Guernsey. They are the two great um, pillars of football in the mm. Channel Islands, yeah. certainly. Uh, you like touring, don't you? You've, you've, you kind of quite sort of embrace it. Uh, but you'd say you're doing it in quite short bursts at the moment, which has helped. But I, a lot of if you talk to like pop stars and not pop stars, but old rock stars, yeah, yeah. usually the reason they quit, they say, "Well, I love the shows, but I don't like the travel and I don't like hotels. I love all that. Stuff. <laughs> I love motorway services at two a.m. I just love it." <laughs> And that moment when you open a hotel room and you don't know what it's going to be like, I, it's great. How well, long is my shoehorn going to be yeah. in this one? And the show, and the show gets promoted in unlikely ways because I was just looking at the Doncaster Free Press, as I, as I often do. Of oh, yeah. Would, yeah. And it said, TV funny man Frank's going to surprise his fans with visit to Connersborough Castle. Yes. <laughs> and so suddenly, because you're on this little Anglo-Saxon tour, yeah, then I, you take in the sights. I, I, although Connersborough, the, the land was owned by Harold Godwinson, who was right. Anglo-Saxon arrow in the eye, Harold. Yeah. Um, to be fair, it's a bit more Norman. I ah. slightly I slightly strayed from, oh. my, from the past. <laughs> You'll go Norman if you have to. Well, you? It, was, it, was a, it, was a, it was a development <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> rather than uh, the main theme. Yeah. Now, it was interesting last summer because when England started to do well, of course, Three Lions resurfaced once again, mm. as it always will. But I saw David talking on Twitter to some bloke, I think, having a go at him, saying that the royalties weren't that great. I think it was about 87 quid or something. Yeah. She yeah. put how much it was. Well, I was interested when I read that because I don't think I've had hen- any. <laughs> I think it's all gone to David. Um, that's because he did a couple of interviews where he said, "You're basically my idea." You know, but, really? Yeah, he's very. Uh, he's yeah. very. We had a bit of a falling out about it, actually. But um, yeah, so I, I don't think I've had any royalties. At all. Oh, really? You know what? I'm not in it for the money. No, of course, of course not. not. <laughs> Ian Brody's just got a new Ferrari, I understand. And when we were doing Fantasy World Cup, Andy did an interview with a local uh one of the local newspapers and uh, oh, you God. you put that line in there, didn't you? You said and you you said something like, Well it's 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 not all down to me and you you and Dave really seized on it and we kind of <laughs> came in for the, the meeting. Jewish Chronicle three, it was. The Jewish Chronicle, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's not all down to Andy. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. should have known that Dave was to the Jewish Chronicle. I mean, it was it was it was like. Remember when um, foreign footballers would go home and talk to their like the Spanish press and slag off the manager, yeah, thinking yeah, yeah. this will never get back to England. <laughs> I'm all right. I remember doing a slightly Gerald Ratner style comment to Time Out as well. That didn't play too well. Where I said, "What did you say?" I said, "Well, I can't use you the said language." Some of the shows weren't. Some, yeah. of, the, some of the shows. So were I said, some of the shows are brilliant, but some of the parts of it are a bit. Mm. Like yeah. the word Gerald Ratner used, and they printed it, which wasn't ideal. Really, <laughs> oh, yeah. I, you was were a bit of a loose cannon I was banned from press. speaking to the press after the loose cannon. Yeah. Well, yeah, but we all said, enough. I remember Andy's the pre the production day meetings, Frank, where Andy would offer himself up as a kind of sacrificial lamb to get you and Dave in a good mood by being uh, telling us a little bit too much information about uh, his personal relationships and just, <laughs> just trying to get everybody get everybody on side, get us in the mood. Do people generally know that you two produce? 
fantasy football. Well, they know yeah. what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember Andy We've had never a, stopped mentioning it. Andy had a big notebook, mm. and, and Andy was also he used to do the the barbecue at lunchtime. So yeah. I mean, he did. He ran the whole show. He did, yeah. And I did walk past his um, his open notebook once, and I just saw written in block capitals Cajun. Question mark. <laughs> and he'd been making notes on the barbecue as well. <laughs> I've been locking you, I the think barbecue. you also once said if if the police got hold of his notebook and sort of read it, yeah. and that, that he'd probably be locked up. Also in front of Alan Jures, I was trying to show him something with my notebook. And he yeah. basically said, don't show him that thing, you're completely mad. Do you ever yeah. watch The Phoenixes back? Have you, is there any, do you ever revisit him on YouTube? Do you know what? Um, David Baddiel phones me quite often and say I was watching the Matt Letizia <laughs> Phoenix or mm. something. I never do, but really? um, often I don't even remember. The only really things we, any, if anyone dies who was on the show, we send an RIP message right. to each other on their behalf. Mm. But no, I don't. I don't really watch. I, I, I mean, I don't know if they've stood the test of time. And oh no, they that. are still. They do. They're very good. Yeah, they are funny. still. You'll, you'll be surprised when you go back. Some really do. St- and he's in quite a lot of them in I various am, roles. Worst the Abby Cohen Phoenix is probably good. right up there. I'd say with your performance. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, it was good. that was one of my finest. Yeah. Um, I played a ref. You, you were in it as well. I was in a few. You? Yeah, I played. I, I suppose. To be Gary Stevens, but I look more like Youth of Joyce <laughs> <laughs> in a lineup. Interestingly, I did a gig just lately, and uh, and a bloke was in the audience, and I said something to this bloke, and then his mate said, "He's a very famous man. Do you know who he is?" Mm. And I said, "Well, he looks like Brian Murphy from uh, from Georgia Mildred, yeah. and it was him. It was Brian Murphy. Yeah, yeah. and we had, and I think he was so pleased." A, that I'd recognise him, but B, that I'd said Brian Murphy rather than, you know, George. Yeah, yeah, George. yeah. Yeah, so we had quite an ongoing thing. They, they repeat that on various channels. And I tell you, that performance, those two, it's a br- brilliant comic performance. They're fantastic to give. They're really good. That has stood the test of time. You can see it's just real, real That's such quality. a Paul, Paul Hawkes oh, thing you know, to be great. reviewing <laughs> George and Milton <laughs> yeah. in 2019. Great. No, honestly, get proper it's what chop, on, comedy on chops. Radio, on the radio got. show we do, we call that late review. <laughs> yeah, it's a very, very late incredibly review. late review. Now, last time you were here, you were telling us that your young son is... Uh, Suddenly, to your chagrin, he's a Tottenham fan. Yeah, good lad. He is a Tottenham Although, fan. Although, um, as I said, he, uh, the, his expectation was that it was going to be all gravy and uh, onwards and upwards after the Champions League. But Well, look, my first ever West Brom game was December 1967. Mm. And we went on to win the, win the FA Cup that year. And I thought it was going to be silverware all the way. And that's the last major trophy we won. <laughs> I don't think that will happen with Tottenham. I think they, you know, they're, they're going to be good. But, yeah, it has been a shock. He was very upset when Trippier went for a start-off. Right. Because he really liked him and he was an England player and mm. all that. And, um, yeah, he's he's been a bit... I don't think you can quite believe it. But there was a thing on the telly where someone talked about Pochettino leaving and he was... He was on the verge of being a I don't think he's, I think he thought it would stay like this forever. Yeah. You know, the personnel and um, being You should in the have put him on the phone to me, I would have put him right. <laughs> exactly, Uncle Porter. <laughs> well, I keep showing him the championship uh, table and saying, look, look where West Brom yeah. are. But, uh, Do you think he not... might sort of I come took over him, to... I took him to his first night game. I took him... Uh, West Brom Barnsley mm. because night games that yeah, glow yeah, 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 on the pitch yeah, yeah. and mm. all that and he loved it all but um, he still seems to be a Tottenham fan I will continue to work at it it's good that he's it's good that he's uh, you know he's, he's not been put off and, and sort of flip flop that's well, very good to be honest if I may uh, just lately he's had a, quite a bit of growing up things mm. we, we watched um, the England game when it was stopped because of racial chanting. Yeah. And I had to explain to him what was mm. happening. It's quite a thing to explain to a seven-year-old kid. And then last week he was watching Everton Tottenham when that horrible, horrible... And he was saying, why is Son crying and stuff like that? And, you know... Yeah, it's quite it's, it's, yeah, you can learn a lot watching football about life. Yeah, that's Do you know what true. I mean? Wow. That is true. Uh, I, I know you like your boxing. I don't know if you were aware of the uh, the fight between the two YouTubers, Logan Paul and KSI. They fought on Saturday night. Okay, it was LA. Yeah, I yeah. Did, I haven't watched it, Andy. You have. You. I have. It, it was back, terrible. Absolutely. A lot of terrible. windmilling going. A lot on. of windmilling. But <laughs> I, I like this, which was basically. Uh, 
UK fans paid 9.95 to watch it, but 11,000 people logged on to see it through the reflection of a mystery YouTuber's user shade. So people just watched the reflection in this bloke's in glasses. This glasses. That's how to I save like to watch tenor. sport. That is brilliant. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you can watch it in ultra high definition, just high definition, or in the reflection of a bloke's glasses. I love that. That is a prescription for success. <laughs> oh, it is. <laughs> so we were saying that the, the show is called Showbiz, finally, and... Uh, and you're saying you've had some quite kind of low-key, um, fairly mundane drab encounters with celebrities over the years. You've never really milked it, maybe, or maybe well, milked your own level of celebrity. A, a mate of mine, um, he, I remember him giving me a speech where he felt that he would have done a lot more with celebrity than I had. Right. He was, I remember he was very obsessed with Kate Garriger, and that didn't that that fueled a lot of this. Right. But he said you haven't gone to the right parties you've never really put you know you haven't got proper showbiz friends it's all david Baddiel and adrian child <laughs> <laughs> they'll thank you for that yeah, yeah and yeah, um yeah. I, i'm sure they said the same to them about me yeah. and i think it might be i like it i've always embraced it mm. but i've never i think because i don't drink or do anything else yeah um, i've never really been totally uh, accepted into the uh, into the group is mm. what i think but you know what? I'm fine with it. Yeah. I always think with comedy that they are, I'm like the the uh, the hour hand mm. with all these second hands shooting past me, but I just keep moving on my <laughs> on my way. It's still absolutely crucial to telling the time. Yeah. <laughs> well, good to see you, Frank. Good. It's Thank you always very much good for to see you in. guys. Um, you know so, I love you. Uh, well, you can catch Frank at the Garrick Theatre in London's busy West End from the 13th of Jan, 15th of Feb. Tickets are on sale now from frankskinalive.com. And if you can't get into London, uh, you can see Frank. He's still uh, around the country doing a few gigs in Scotland this week and lots more besides. And off to the Channel Islands as well. Yeah. Fantastic. And more. Are you starting to now kind of put a light pencil through Anglo-Saxon uh, places of interest? Well, we're, we're up in uh, Scotland. We're going to go across to uh, Holy Island and yeah. take in Bamborough Castle as well. So, you know. Top notch. Your support act is, uh, is, uh, is, has got an interest in it as well. Well, to be honest, I mean, he's a funny guy and I really like him, mm. but one of the reasons I chose him, he's got a degree in Anglo Saxon history. <laughs> so that saves me having to buy the guidebook. <laughs> he never would have thought that would have come in useful <laughs> on know. the comedy circuit. Exactly. He's got this good plum gig around the country. <laughs> Cheers, Frank. Thanks very much. Cheers, guys. The Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast from Talk Sport. Hawksby and Jacobs here on Talk Sport. Our next guest was. Uh, last with us a couple of years ago reflecting uh, on uh, the uh, Lions trip to New Zealand that memorable drawn series mm-hmm. he has returned he is uh, chatting about his uh, autobiography Pride and Passion Warren Gatlin is with us good to see you Warren good afternoon it's, 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 it's pretty hot off the press this isn't it because the book finishes or the book starts should I say with the third place uh, game uh, only a sort of week or so ago yeah it comes out uh, on Thursday so it's just hot off the press really so yeah yeah. How, how are you feeling? You've had a kind of a, a couple of weeks to reflect on. I, I just generally, how, how do coaches feel about the idea of the bronze medal game? Because from a distance, you sense that I hate you in football. Yeah, you and the boys would just like to get home, having lost the semi final. Yeah, I think it's one of those ones that's. Uh, uh, I think our two CEOs sort of uh, mentioned that we should have a boat race to settle it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, for us, it was it was probably a game too far. We had a five day turnaround. We played South Africa in that. Semi-finals and five days later, you got to play the All Blacks. So it's tough, uh, tough mentally, you know, because you're so disappointed from giving everything in a semi-final, and then you've got to play a third and fourth playoff. So probably the players wouldn't want it, but from a financial perspective and teams that are there, it's third and fourth, you're playing for a medal, so sure you can understand. Um, the the final, having played South Africa, of course, in that semi final, did it did it go as you expected when you sat down and watched that game against England? Did you did you have in the back of your mind that that could happen? I did mention it. Uh, you did, yeah. Eddie slightly bit on that. <laughs> yeah, he, he did. Yeah, I, was, I wasn't actually talking about England. I was talking about some of my own experiences. Mm. You know, just when you play sport at the very highest level and. England were unbelievable in that semi-final against All Blacks. Probably one of the best performances that I've seen from any rugby team. But to to get to that level, sometimes it's, it's you're right on the very edge of emotion. You've really got to bring 
um, so much emotion to a game like that. And it's difficult to repeat that. And having experienced that in my own coaching career, I can remember a number of years ago when I was coaching Wasps, we played Leicester in the last game of a round. Uh, the winner went through straight through to the final. It was Martin Johnson and Neil Beck's last game for Leicester at Welford Road. I completely underestimated the emotion of that. And mm. they, put, they beat us by 45 to 25. And we had to play a semi-final the next week against Northampton. And then in the final at Twickenham, we put 40 points on them. And the same... Uh, in 2013 with the Lions um, Australia beat us in the second test and I saw James Hall afterwards with tears running down his eyes and the emotion that Australia put in that second test to win it and just remembering and thinking I don't know if they can bring that same sort of emotion uh, for the third test and uh, and we didn't play as well as we could and we, we were the team that brought the emotion so it's very very difficult so I was kind of I was looking back at experiences 2011 Rugby World Cup when um, we played France in the semi-final game that we should have won. Yeah. New Zealand played Australia. They played they played Australia in the semi-final, put everything into that, and and just struggled to beat France in the finals. Nine um, eight that score in France were very unlucky. So um, I was just kind of reflecting back on sort of experiences and things that I'd seen in sport, and was saying, you know, you just got to remind mm. yourself that a performance like that, you've got to be able to repeat it the following week. Eddie you Jones, must, I was going to say Eddie Jones took a little bit of stick for saying. Mate, I don't know what went wrong. We just, you know, sometimes yeah. you win, sometimes you lose. Did you have a little bit of sympathy for that? Because there was no shock about the way South Africa were likely to play. You knew they were going to play like that. You just had to counter it, of course. Yeah, absolutely. And they were very similar to us in that semi-final when you know, six or seven minutes to go, when it's 16 all, I thought we were going to win that semi-final. And a very simple game. They just come off nine, come off nine, come off nine, box kick a lot, and uh, you've just got to be able to handle it. And they bring physicality to that game. And obviously England did that in the... Um, in the semi-final, in the fi- but in that final, uh, Southern were very, very physical, and they did a good job and um, stopping Ben Youngs from from dictating the game, and that probably paid a big difference. And yeah. I tell you, the, the the thing about it afterwards was going to the awards dinner on the Sunday night, and to hear Sia Kalasi, the the uh, South African captain, speak about how important that win was to South Africa as a nation. You can't. Mm. I kind of, I kind of sat back and went. Actually, this game's more important than just a game of rugby. It was that it was how important that was to a nation, and uh, and you kind of thought, well, well done to them. And if it does make a difference to South Africa and them as a nation, and obviously um, politically and culturally things things continue to improve, and then I think it's, uh, it's it's been a good result. Yeah, yeah. It was the same for Japan, wasn't it? Being the host nation with the terrible weather and tornadoes, but taking something from the performance of their national team. Oh, absolutely. And that was inspirational. And seeing Japan get to the um, the quarterfinals, I thought, was was something, something really special. They played special. some lovely rugby. They did. They mm. played some beautiful rugby. And uh, um, it, was, it was it was great to see. And, and, and it's always great for a host nation to go through to the next stages because then the home fans really get in behind and support, support the team. And uh, uh, in fairness, I think 99% of the... Tickets were sold at every venue. Um, the hospitality we had was amazing, and the country really got behind it. And I think mm. it, I think it's brilliant for the game to grow the game. And probably the next big country to take this to would be probably be the USA at some stage, mm. take, because I think it would make a massive difference in that country as well. Countries are generally sorry, Paul. Are yeah. Generally pragmatic. I mean, you mentioned Japan; it was lovely rugby they played, and England against the All Blacks. Does it matter how you win? Does it matter that South Africa proved to be the best team, but playing this kind of Pragmatic physical rugby. Um, if you talk to coaches, <laughs> well, that's what I, say, I coaches, don't think they really care how no, you win. Think... You know, it's about. Uh, I find it interesting watching you know football and hearing football fans sometimes, and uh, their team punches above their weight and sort of finishes fifth or sixth or seventh in the table. But, but then the fans get bored of that and want them to play attacking, stylish football. And in mm. the following year, the the manager listens to that, and they find themselves in relegation zone. So it's a you know it's a tough one sometimes for the expectations of fans. And yes, we're playing a game where it's an entertainment game where we've got to think about that. But it's also uh, a professional sports also about winning. Yeah. So yeah, it's just trying to get that balance right. Having said the, the this World mm-hmm. Cup is covered in the book Pride and Passion is your passion is your autobiography, and, and you, you take us right back to your childhood and tales of uh, playing rugby in bare feet when you were a kid. Yeah, the heavens. Uh, my father took me down to the local rugby club when I was uh, five years of age, and uh, 
maybe a Saturday mornings waking up to frost and bare feet. And, and those days in New Zealand, you, you never got a pair of boots until you are about nine or ten. So uh, <laughs> for the first four or five years of playing rugby, it was every Saturday morning and bare feet and kind of... Uh, that's where it all started. Yeah, you um, you, you say as well. Everybody, every kid wants to be an All Black. You know, you it kind of it kind of sums up just how all-consuming rugby is in in New Zealand. Yeah, I think it's changed um, from where it was, where every local town the the rugby club was the, the centre of the community, and everyone everyone went down there and supported the local team on the weekends and had a few drinks at the bar afterwards, and and that's the way it was. You know, it's definitely changed mm. uh, since then, but. Uh, uh, growing up, you know, that's what I wanted to do and, and I, I can remember, you know, every every sort of playtime, lunchtime playing rugby um, with my mates uh, at school and, and it's quite quite strange to see because you, having lived in London for, um, for a number of years, you'd see my son, he'd be playing football at lunchtime and you go to New Zealand and kids aren't kicking the football around. Yeah. If they haven't got a rugby ball, then they've, fold, they've rolled up a pair of socks and they're playing touch rugby or something like that. So, mm. yeah, just culturally it's different and that's that's the way it is. And, uh, you know, it's definitely the national sport and kids aspire to, to wanting to be All Blacks. Uh, you, you, you wonder about the role of the, the hacker as an All Black and you say the first time you pull on the jersey, you're more nervous about getting the hacker right than you are about the way you're actually going to play in the game. Yeah, that was a terrifying week because... Uh, <laughs> Um, I spent all all that week in my room at, at night after trainings practicing the haka because on the Friday night before your first game, then the new boys have got to do the haka in front of um, the older, experienced players. And uh, you know, like I was uh, so nervous about that. I wasn't I wasn't worried about the game. We played. Uh, I think it was Western Australia was was my first game uh, for the All Blacks in Perth, and and we won that game comfortably. But uh, it was nerve wracking having to mm. do that haka and, and make sure you get it right because the they can be pretty critical if, uh, if you make a few <laughs> yeah. mistakes. Did you like Eddie's V formation? Do you think that was quite clever? Or? Yeah, I thought uh, it was interesting because uh, weren't they saying that it was supposed to be a semicircle and ended up being a, a, a V formation? <laughs> when you talking about creating a W for Wales. <laughs> yeah. We spoke about that. We yeah. laughed about that. So, uh, yeah. Um, look, it's the way the huck is a challenge. It's a challenge about really questioning your sort of your manhood, your, your ability to, to, you know, they're going to want to rip your head off basically the kind of you really take it back to to, to basics and um and so the thing about accepting the the hucker or ch- the challenge is to stand up to it and i thought england did that admirably and anyone that i spoke to and you spoke to steve hansen or winnie kiwi you I mean you're entitled to accept the challenge how you want and uh and uh the fact that they did a different formation there's, there's nothing wrong with that and i thought you know, for maybe for some of the All Blacks, it was kind of a little bit off-putting. But um, you know, fair play to England, uh, they did that. But they followed it up with an unbelievable performance. It's probably one of the best rugby performances I've seen for a long, mm. long time. Yeah, the uh, it, it, the, the books are interesting on on your, your coaching career. But did you always expect to be a coach? Did you always see yourself after your playing days going into coaching? Uh, probably, it was wasn't something that I thought about until I sort of looked back on my playing career. I was. Uh, captain of a lot of teams when I was uh, growing up, sort of, uh, sort of a twelve, thirteen-year-old playing, playing, um, representing rugby in in the Waikato, and then captain first fifteen and captain schoolboy teams and club size, and probably as a result of that, um, having a closer relationship with the coaches that I was involved with, it sort of, I just naturally went into into coaching, and then. and became a sort of a player coach at a really young age. I was sort of twenty-four, twenty-five, and toured. Wales and Ireland with the All Blacks and then end up staying on as a, as a player coach with a, a club side in Galway called mm. Galwegians. And then went back to New Zealand was was a player coach as well. And and the game went professional in uh, 1995. And, you know, I was probably, I got offered a full-time professional contract and had decided to retire. And, um, and that probably gave me a, a big advantage over a lot of other coaches because I got into coaching at a very young age, sort of in, when I was 30 and in and, and a professional way and, and um, I was fit enough to carry on playing if I'd taken the full-time contract I may have played for another four or five yeah, years yeah. so um, probably always was going to be a coach When you look at players do you think ah, future coach future coach you kind of get that sense and have you ever got that wrong have you ever looked at a player and thought well he's going to be a massive coach and for whatever reason they've, they've gone down a different route maybe media or something like yeah, that Yeah I think for for some players it's 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 about being analytical in terms of understanding the game and not just your own role and and often 
the best players don't always make the best coaches because they don't know why they're the best players. They're, mm. they're just naturally good. And the players that have had to work hard at their game, they think about, you know, um, what they need to do to improve the game and, and look at other aspects. So, um, yeah, a lot of a lot of players, um, like I said, who are, are great players, don't often make good coaches. And the players, you know, I knew, knew what it was like to sit on the bench for the All Blacks. I sat behind Sean Fitzpatrick for a number of years <laughs> yeah. and, and never got on. But, uh, you know, I think that gave me um, a, a massive advantage in terms of... Uh, understanding the game, looking at myself. So you kind of watch more rugby than you ideally yeah. wanted to from that, posi- yeah, from also, that position. Yeah, but also mm. understanding yeah. about how how to handle disappointment. Sure. Because yeah. the hardest thing about coaching is is the coaching is the easy part, but the thing I find the most difficult sometimes is when you have to deliver that message about players missing out. Sorry, you haven't been selected in the squad, or you haven't made the fifteen, or you haven't made the twenty three, and that doesn't get any easier. No. That, that that's the hardest part. So, um, you know, when I talk to a player. About missing out on the on the on the side of not being selected, you know, I know what it's like having been through that on a number of occasions myself, but it still doesn't make that any easier. Well, I enjoyed the book one. It says there's a, a lot of personal stuff we've we've not got round to kind of you telling your story. So people should uh, pick up a copy out on the 14th. Uh, it's in hardback, published by Headline, and uh, lovely to see you again. Thanks for yeah. coming in. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Andy. Cheers. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from Talk Sport. It was interesting to hear um, Roy Hodgson, Andy, talking about superstitions, that he tries not to be superstitious, but that he oh, has right. got a few still out there. He said, in my first year at uh, Halmstads, he said, as a coach, I wore the same jacket, same shirt, the same underpants. And I'm thinking, Ooh, very, if, very he, unfortunate. if he's still wearing the same underpants, he was at Halmstads <laughs> in 1976, he's wearing 43-year-old underpants. <laughs> They're going to have to be buried in a lead-lined box, aren't they, <laughs> when he finally that. sheds them? <laughs> but wow. No, not good, really. Um, it's a shame our producer, John Cadigan, is away. We can't celebrate Maidstone's giant killing of Torquay. Oh, OK. Well, he, he lost chose a good week to, uh, to no, not be around, really didn't he? Yeah. Hammered him on that, but there you go. Uh, a bit of a Johnny Nash on this story. Hold on, where is it? It's a little sun one. Let me see. Oh, yes. Steve Morrow paid 75p for two hens, but misread the ad and got 1,000 in Hamilton, New Zealand. You think... Not Steve Morrow, the bloke that used to play for Arsenal, no, surely. No, no, and exactly. I wouldn't think so. Why would you get a thousand hens for seventy-five p? That seems incredibly cheap. <laughs> yeah, is that a joke? No. <laughs> By your standards, that's pushing it a bit. It's the, not a joke. I oh, know it's not going cheap. Um, yes, uh, Dean Hoyle, the former Huddersfield town owner, lovely mm. touch by him. Can you imagine your chairman, or even ex, or in case ex-chairman, uh, doing this? Mm. He turned up at a pub outside Brentford's ground before last weekend's match, uh, Martin Ziegler tells us in his column. Four of them to choose from. And Sorry, he has. He had one in every corner. That's mm. which one you go to. Uh, <laughs> and put £850 behind the bar for drinks. Wow. Nice touch. He said, it's my way of clocking off. Uh, he sold his uh, majority share in the club earlier this year. He said, I did the same thing when I bought the club 10 years ago. I think some of the fans may have stayed in the pub for the whole afternoon. But what a nice touch from the chairman. So you can imagine your old chairman going into the local pub and sticking 850 quid behind the bar. Who? Roman Abramovich. You'd call him a skinflint if he did, if Roman did it, wouldn't you, really? <laughs> Seems unlikely. Yeah, that was that great quote of the weekend mm. by Jurgen Klopp talking about how everybody had to be on it for Liverpool to beat Manchester City. And that line he said about um, uh, even the guy selling the hot dogs will have to be in top shape. I'm thinking, have you seen the blokes who sell the hot dogs? They're generally, <laughs> they're gonna be they're in top generally shape. not. If they're, if they're basically sampling their own wares, they're not normally in the, in the, in the mm. top of most of shape, are they? And well done to ultra-marathon runner Nick Butter, which sounds like shoplifting, but it isn't. Yeah. It was a tremendous achievement <laughs> by him. Yeah. It was around a hundred... Uh, how many was it? Marathon in every country, 196 marathons which is unbelievable really so well done to him yeah 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 can't see um, why I did but I bet it's go. fun to have a pint with this is oh, a, yeah. it's a I couple this is, I bet yeah. they're fun to have a pint with the occasional Three, series 321 yeah <laughs> uh, they have collected 600 small ceramic dusty bins from the long forgotten TV show 321 ask your kids he was quite kids. cute Dusty he was probably the best thing about the show really but he was a bit like he was a bit like Mr Chips he was like a forerunner of Mr Chips yeah I, feel I like. mean that's fairly dated now they have well, brought that back haven't they 
pretty catchphrase. Why when they brought back 3-2-1, it was an incredibly convoluted, God, convoluted it game, wasn't it, really? It was I never understood odd, it. Odd, uh, you know, always... Yeah. You could I never mean, understand the clue. No, it was aimed at a kind of, you know, the ITV sort of audience, you know, yeah. general audience, and yet it was a really complicated bit of, you know, quiz, but I never understood it, but there you go. Apparently in the... Uh, David Walsh's column yesterday in the uh, Sunday Times talked about these medical practitioners' tribunal service uh, meeting with Dr. Oh, Richard... Strong piece Dr. Dr. Richard Freeman, but amongst it, he said uh, he had a bit of a feeling they were trying to take everybody's eye off the ball by talking about Shane Sutton's erectile dysfunction, who I remember seeing on the old Great Whistle <laughs> Test in about 1976. <laughs> what a they were very they good. Were. I think there was a, one of the faces was in there, quite possibly uh, one of the spiders from Mars. It was that kind of band, that sort of era, but they were, they were very, very good. Anyway, uh, on oh, okay. Friday. So you got one more? One more, Go one on more. There are news of a refreshing new drink uh, taking Japan by storm. Oh, yeah. It's called Onionade. It's apparently just like lemonade, but it's made from onions. <laughs> Really? Sound, I don't like the sound of that. Onion Aid sounds like some kind of benefit concert <laughs> for people in the onion industry. <laughs> it's true. The Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast from Talk Sport. Don't ask me to leave it out. I've struggled to pitch these questions right, Andy. We've got, Andy's got to get five out of five on last week's shows. Uh, we spoke with the goalkeeper, Charlie Granger, on uh, Friday. Which team does he play for? Oh, uh, they're playing... Dulwich, he plays for Dulwich. He does play for Dulwich, Dulwich Hamlet, that's God, right. That's okay, just for a minute, Andy, I think you're going to blow the first one. Sorry. Um, we spoke to a Scotsman with two surnames, that's not unusual, that's quite common. He's an octogenarian, octo- oh, oh, sorry, yes. octogenarian oh, yeah. runner. Um, Mackie was his surname as a first name. Yeah, uh, oh... Uh, he had the, tried the vapour flies, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, he did, yeah, yeah. No? Uh, not Curtis Mackey? No, that's not very Scottish, is it? <laughs> Curtis? He's <laughs> <laughs> called Curtis. Uh, Crawford. Crawford. Crawford Mackey, Jeez, that's right. Get these out of the way. Um, we <laughs> spoke about um, Sonny Bill Williams joining which rugby league side? Uh, uh, Toronto. Toronto what? Well, not Raptors, that's the bus. Yeah. Oh, for goodness. Toronto. Wolfpack. Wolfpack, uh, Wolfpack. that's it, you got that. <laughs> Lop uh, We spoke to Russell and Ed from Editors. They came in. Which two football teams do they support? Can you remember? We talked about yeah, both their teams. Uh, Villa. Yeah, that's one. And Ipswich. Yeah, good work. And uh, we had a chat to Morris Hamilton about Lewis Hamilton winning uh, the uh, US Grand Prix. Where was it run? What city? Uh, Austin in Texas. Austin, that's right, yeah. yeah. Cool. Brilliant. Not Same bad. Not, not bad. Not good enough. No, not good. Not enough. good, obviously. It wasn't the Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast from Talk Sport. There we are. That was this afternoon's show. What a show. thriller, though. I, we'll probably get lots of Scottish people called Curtis now getting in touch. <laughs> are you part of the Curtis clan? <laughs> Is that the Curtis Tartan? <laughs> anyway, uh, that's us. We'll be back uh, tomorrow. I think what exalted guests we've got coming in tomorrow. Who knows? We'll see. Anyway, thanks for downloading us. You've been listening to the Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. Hear the guys every weekday between 1 and 4 p.m. on TalkSport. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas... You will be timed. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> a lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. And so much more. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.